Welcome to Beyond the Lab, a podcast where we talk about people, ideas, and insights in the science industry. So thank you so much again for joining us in another episode. Beyond the Lab has had the honor of hosting Malaysia's medical physics pioneer, Prof. Ng Kwan Fung. And today we are privileged once again to interview Prof. Ng's former PhD student, Dr. Leong Suk Sam, who is researching ultrasound detection methods for chronic kidney diseases. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Liang. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me here, Jisri. And uh, I know we've been communicating via email, but it's so nice to meet you. Yes, yes, yes. On Zoom face-to-face. <laughs> yes, finally, <laughs> yes. Of, uh, communicating, right? Yep. <laughs> behind so, the camera. Yeah, behind the camera. <laughs> yeah. So, it's a, so moving on to our first question, what drew you to ultrasounds? And why chronic kidney diseases? Well, just um, to be frank with you, when I was a student, I I don't have much interest in ultrasound actually. Okay. Um, because in ultrasound you work in dark, everything moves so slow, and but I changed my perception after speaking to one of the radiologists. She told me that ultrasound is about skill; it's operator dependent. You see, ultrasound is and CT so different, two different modalities because CT or MR, the machine will show you what you want to see, provided you give a uh, you, you you put in a good protocol, correct protocol. But in ultrasound, you have to hunt for the, the structure, you have to look for it. So your eye has to be very sharp um, to pick up small little things, and your hand has to be very slow and steady so that you will not miss, miss a thing. So if you are good. You can make diagnosis with almost most of the machine. I want to say all the machine, most of the machine. But even if you are not good in your work, if they give you a $1 million machine, you can actually misdiagnose. So she make it sound so interesting and challenging. And because of that, I, I choose ultrasound as my subspecialty. And come to your second question, why CKD, right? Yeah. The... Yeah, previously, the department that I work in, was, uh, we are seeing about 70 to 80 patients a day. And out of this 70, 80 patients, 90% is actually coming for ultrasound abdomen. And half of this ultrasound abdomen is for kidney disease. So often, when patients come to us, they will have some sort of like deranged renal function in high creatinine. So, right. but when we scan, the ultrasound actually show completely normal. So there's a contradiction between our my ultrasound finding with the laboratory result. So that's yeah. the reason make me think that yes, this is a field that I can actually explore more in kidney disease using uh, ultrasound survey. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I also I was um very interested when uh, I was told that you're actually working on ultrasound. Yes. Because uh, I have to be honest, like my grandma who's no longer with my family she okay. used to have uh, yeah she used to have uh, kidney disease towards her later stages she went for dialysis and the only thing i would hear the doctor say is like creatinine level is high or albumin to creatinine ratio yes so i never really heard the doctor say ultrasound <laughs> so i was I like I can't like I know ultrasound was used for like you know when you're when we are pregnant we will go and pregnancy yes. right but yes we cannot, like we can see the baby but 
I mean, the doctor has to show us that this is the baby. Then only yes. we're like, oh, this is the baby. And like, yes. so, I can't eyes. Imagine, so I can't imagine like how, how, the, how to see a kidney. You know, like, <laughs> it's like such a big thing when you have a baby, only you see the, the you can see the structure. And that also yes. with the doctor telling you. So I, I can't imagine, I couldn't like picture like how like, how, how, how to see the kidney like in an ultrasound? Yeah. So That's that was, unique. Yeah. yeah. Like even like, for example, like TB, right? Like when we do x-ray, we know yeah. that if the lungs are clear, means like you won't see the outline. So you know that the lungs are healthy. But if like, for example, if there's fluid, then there'll be a whitish marking on the X. So it takes so much to actually see even in an x-ray. So I was, I really couldn't figure out Oh, how how Dr. Leon going to see it? The ultrasound of the kidney is like very interesting, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's a very interesting um, uh, uh, modality and field, actually. You'll love it when you go to ultrasound for a week. You'll love ultrasound. Right. Okay, okay. So, like, you know, being, like, working with ultrasounds and, and this kind of research, what is the typical, like, setting for this sort of research? Well, uh, just in medical imaging, we have uh, different uh, profession like we have nurses, we have radiographers, we have lab technician as well, uh, not to forget uh, medical physicists. So I would say collaboration between different professions is the research setting in medical imaging. Like for example, in one of my projects that I had done recently is to validate the show wave value with DMA test, the dynamic uh, diamond dynamic mechanical analysis i couldn't i always couldn't pronounce nicely dma test so when it comes to dma test we actually have to pick up the organ put on the machine and do the test so obviously i can't pick up a patient's kidney and put in the dma machine right yeah. so i have to do a phantom study yeah when coming to phantom study I have no idea how to do a phantom study and I definitely do not know how to operate the DMAs, uh, uh, the machine. So I spoke to Prof Ng and another medical physicist who is, uh, her name is Professor Janie. So we worked together. We have tried so many types, different types of phantom. And at the end, we managed to come up a phantom. We use a goat kidney to do oh, okay. a phantom. Yes, of, uh, that is also, we have several discussions with the veterinary from UPM as well. So yeah. we come up a phantom using goat kidney and we measure the stiffness value for the goat kidney at different location. And then we take out the goat kidney and dissect and put it on the DMA test and validate and see whether this, the reading is similar uh, between DMA and the show wave value. So that is actually the toughest paper I have done so far because I'm doing something that I not totally not familiar with it is very hard but but i have definitely i have fun because i learned so much from medical physicists the veterinary so i would say collaboration is a very is a very fun type of research research setting right. you will learn a lot from, from different people yeah right. i think that's very interesting uh, i think a very interesting point that you also brought out is that um people have this people sometimes think that uh, being like more academic inclined means you would only interact with those in academia when in actual fact it's not true like it's yeah. it's so important for PhD students graduate students to actually 
have good communication skills. That way you get to interact with people from all, all different careers and learn different lingos and actually which will contribute to your own research. Yes, yes, totally agree. Yes, yes. Right. Uh, but Dr. Leong, I need to ask you something. What is sure wave value? <laughs> my physics, I'm really out in my physics now. I haven't touched physics for a long time. So I... All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do have the same problem when I try to understand what is shear wave. So uh, before I go to details about shear wave, um, um, I, I, my study is actually looking at to quantify the stiffness value of uh, CKD kidney using shear wave. So shear wave is actually um, um, uh, a method for in order for us to quantify the stiffness value using shear wave. So what happened is this transducer, the ultrasound transducer, it will admit an acoustic ultrasound wave where we call it acoustic radiation force impulse, short form as RFI, A-R-F-I. So along with uh, ultrasound beam, this RFI will go into the human body. Mm -hmm. So this RFI, it will generate shear wave, which is we will move away from the pulse beam and the machine, and, and, and when the shear wave propagates, the machine actually detects how fast the speed of the shear wave. And they do some calculation and they measure the stiffness uh, using Young Modules equation. Sounds very complicated. You look yes. very. <laughs> yeah, very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I give you an example, easy to understand. Imagine you have a bucket of water. Yeah. Okay. And you're holding a pebble from top. Okay. You drop the pebble. Yeah. into the, uh, the bucket of water. Mm -hmm. Once the pebble hit the water, what it will see? It will, it will create ripples in yeah. water, right? Yeah. So the ripple will move away from the direction of the pebble? Yes. Okay. So now, your hand is the transducer. Okay. The okay. The pebble is the acoustic radiation pulse, uh, impulse, FRF. Right. So the water is actually the organ. Okay. You drop the pebble is RFI, you drop, hit the water, which is the organ, and you create ripples moving away from the direction of the pebble. Yeah. So the ripple is actually shear wave. Right. Okay, okay. Now, okay. Now imagine you have two buckets of water. One okay. is clear water, maybe another one is uh, a water mixed with cornstarch, let's say. Right. So at the same time you drop the pebble, right. do you think the ripples created has the same speed? Between these two, one is clear water, one is a mixture of cornstarch. Which is faster, which is slower? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that it's clear water. Like for me, I okay. think cornstarch should be thicker and yeah. Exactly. Yes. So now your visual assessment is actually a detecting pulse. The machine actually will detect how fast the ripples uh, move propagate. So it will, of course, you have some mathematics inside and then they will calculate the stiffness value. So this is basically the shear wave principle is like these two buckets of water. Right. Maybe the, the normal organs is clear water. Mm -hmm. Maybe the kidney will have some pathology is the mixture uh, of cornstarch. So, right. so you now you kind of get what's the principle of shear wave? Yes. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Make, it's a lot easier to understand. Thank you so much yeah. for that. So how is <laughs> yeah. this different from... Is this 
different from the normal ultrasound that's being done now? Okay, so the normal, uh, currently what we are, for the con current ultrasound is conventional ultrasound, whereby the one you see in the, the during the, the, the pregnancy uh, scan, yeah. okay. So current ultrasound, we are actually looking at the morphology of the kidney. So we are, we look at the kidney size. We, uh, we also look, uh, is there any uh, lesion? And another uh, biomarker that we always use in conventional ultrasound is echogenicity. In layman term, is the brightness of the renal cortex. Right. So a normal kidney, it has a darker, more hypo compared to the adjacent organ, which is the spleen or the liver. So oh, okay. a normal kidney, the normal kidney should be darker compared to liver and, and, and spleen. Mm -hmm. So if it is brighter, we know that patient has uh, renal parenchyma disease, like uh, like the patient who has increased creatinine. Um, right. Usually, they might have brighter uh, renal cortex. So it's but it is very subjective because when you say brightness, darkness, it's all based on visual assessment. Yeah. It's all subjective. So when you have a patient has a very significant bright renal cortex, it's easy. Okay, patient has some kind of disease, but. What if the echogenicity, which is the brightness and the darkness, is like in between? You are not sure. You see, our vision yeah. is so different. Your, yours and mine is so different. Maybe the kidney cortex for me, is, it looks hypo. But maybe for you, Jesu, you think that, no, I think it's slightly hyper. So we always have this problem because it's, so, it's a subjective assessment. But sure wave, it will measure the stiffness. It gives you a quantitative assessment. So that's right. different sure wave and a conventional ultrasound. Okay, whoa, that's pretty cool. So it's actually quantifying what was initially not quantifiable. Yes. Okay, whoa, that's pretty cool. That's really cool. <laughs> and, you know, like looking at how like shear wave electro, elect, electrography, right? Elect shear wave elastography. Elastography, sorry. Shear yeah. wave elastography can actually do this. Uh, do you see it actually being applied for other health diagnosis? Oh, yes, definitely, Jessri. You need, I mean, for your information, sure, we've actually started in assessing liver, uh, uh, lesion stiffness. For instance, a breast lesion, thyroid lesion. So there's a lot of research has proved that malignant lesion is actually stiffer compared to a um, benign lesion. So right. they, yeah, they even extended to look at the stiffness value in the liver. Patient has liver cirrhosis, fatty liver, and they compare whether is there any stiffness change compared to a normal liver. And they reported that liver cirrhosis is actually show a higher stiffness value compared to a normal. They even can come a cutoff value. If the value exceeds this stiffness, something is not right. So now they even extend the work and to see whether should we, can be served as an alternative tool for biopsy. So sure, it's not only for kidney, it's actually started for leave, uh, lesion and then go to liver. So many, so researcher has expanded the share wave from lesion to most of the organ. Right. Oh, okay, okay. That's pretty cool. And another thing I would like to ask, because as uh, based on that, like following the analogy that you've mentioned, that, you know, when you drop the pebble and the water ripples, but in like in our bodies, before like the wave, I mean, I'm just like imagining like before the wave actually hits the kidney, 
you know, it will actually pass through the skin and the skin, yeah. I'm studying skin. So the skin is like many layers, like from the epidermis, the dermis, and then there's like also like a, a part where it's like fats. That's where like yeah. our, sometimes our fats are stored. So yeah. like in terms of like, I, I'm somebody who my weight goes yo-yo, like it was yo-yo, especially <laughs> during stressful times, like it will go up. So I'm just curious to know, like, like does things like obesity, like maybe not kidney related, will that affect the, sh- like the readings sure. from... Yes, actually, there's um you you actually brought up a very good point. Um, obesity, um, and the the skin, the layer. Mm-hmm. There actually uh, several publications have shown that um the depth from the skin is actually can cause uh is a confounding factor for sugar wave value. Whereby mm-hmm. they try to measure whether sugar wave being atten- I mean the sugar wave atten- um, being attenuated. Uh based on the depth on the skin. And it showed that obesity, uh, patient with uh, higher BMI, I would say higher BMI, actually show a lower stiffness value. All right, okay. So it's one of the uh, lower stiffness value. So it, it is it's actually uh, one of the confounding factors for sure is actually uh, depth from the skin. Right, okay, okay. So there are like confounding. Yes, there are several actually. Okay, that's good. Do you, could you share like other confounding factors like, apart from BMI? Right, others is um okay. You see, um uh, I I just use kidney because uh sure, as definitely. A, as a, so um kidney has a very complex architecture. It's, it's not like liver. Like our kidney, we have cortex, we have medulla, we have sinus. So every location will give it a different stiffness value. We call it an isotropic effect. So if yeah. you measure the stiffness uh, at the cortex and you measure the stiffness from the cortex and you include the medulla, it will give you different value. So the location is very important. So this is an isotropic effect. It's also one of the confounding factor. Other confounding factor is also the pressure you apply. Right. For instance, like a breast lesion, superficial. If you apply pressure, yeah. It actually can change the, uh, the stiffness value as well. Mm, so okay. so it's, it's not like uh, it's not as you just put and then it will measure. No, there's so many things you have to uh, pay attention to when you apply Sherwood, especially in renal imaging. Right, right. Okay. And like I know you're working on um, like the stiffness, like looking at shear wave elasto- elastography. <laughs> My, my bad, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll learn to pronounce that. Uh, but what are the, in your opinion, what are the other issues that should be addressed in chronic kidney diseases, like with respect to medical physics? Well, you see, um, we have, from the beginning, we keep on saying that, oh, sure, we can do this, sure, we can measure that. And just so you know that sure, we is actually quite expensive. Oh, it's okay. Not, <laughs> okay. It's not and it's only can be installed in a high-end ultrasound machine. So right. you see, not all the screening centers afford to have that kind of system in their center. So instead of a uh, survey, what we can do is actually look at the grayscale images from the conventional ultrasound. You okay. see, we know so little about the grayscale ultrasound, the images. We, we just, we, we don't really look into it yet. So yeah. I think what we can do is 
we can actually, from we, the radiographers and the medical physicists, could actually sit together and explore the images from the conventional ultrasound. What actually we miss out from the grayscale ultrasound? Can we convert from qualitative assessment, which is the visual assessment, mm -hmm. into quantitative assessment? That is something we can actually sit together and look into it. Right. So actually, before applying the shear wave, yeah, you actually want to try to quantify it or at least standardize from the normal yes. ultrasounds. Yes, okay. because we know so little. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 makes sense. So only like for example, from there we would screen or take a few of those patients who maybe really need it to move towards like shear wave elastic. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe first thing is how can we can we actually convert the qualitative assessment from mm -hmm. 2D rescue into quantitative? That would be good. Right, right. Yes, mm. yes, yes. I agree. Okay. And uh, you know, uh, Dr. Leong, I know you mentioned that you're now moving into academia. Yes. <laughs> But before this, you did work as a radiographer and a sonographer. Yes. And I'm just curious to know, like, do we need a PhD to become a radiographer or a sonographer? Oh, no, no, no. Um, you don't have to have a PhD to become a radiographer or sonographer. The entrance level to this profession is actually a diploma. Um, okay. Actually, just yeah. I started with diploma. Oh, okay. As a, yes, I, I learned so much during my three years diploma program. I okay. learned how to talk to patients, how to handle the patient. Uh, the MVA patient, motor vehicle accidents patient. And okay. we also learn how to look calm when we are actually okay. in a panic. We, okay. we have to be calm, yeah. pretend that we are calm. So we learn so much during the three years of diploma program. So yes, so you don't have to have a PhD to, 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 to become a radiographer or even a sonographer. Okay, okay. So I, I think like you, I, I was about to ask you like an insight or what it's like to be a radiographer, but I think you already mentioned like that time so you have emergency and you need to look really calm. Okay. Yes. Yes. All right. So like apart from like, so I'm just curious to know like what kind of like emergencies do you handle as a radiographer? Like it. What, okay. What kind of emergency? Well, um, hmm. we, it depends where you work. If uh, sometimes people have to, we have to uh, work in emergency department, then definitely we see a lot of blood, a lot of puke, a lot of crying, okay. shouting. And right. uh, we, if we work in a uh, main department, yes, but still you on and off, you will have patient which is unconscious. So our patient is actually from be able to walk to the one lighter on the bed. Okay. From someone who is very clean, to someone covered with blood. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. that actually makes a clinical radiographer job interesting because you will never know what you're going to see today. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. I mean, a bit gory, but it's still... But it's a very interesting job. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That's true. Yeah. So just out of curiosity, like, it, like you are a clinical radiographer, but like did... What about those who didn't choose to become clinical radiographers? Like, what did they do? Like, your batchmates? Oh, uh, okay. Um, besides clinical radiographer, mm -hmm. I was 
some of my friends they are actually a application specialist. Right. But uh, yeah, they decided as a clinical radiographer still, where they have a very skillful, very experienced. Then they can they become an application specialist. They will give training to the doctors, the like healthcare personnel on how to use a system of a machine. And this involves a lot of uh, uh, traveling overseas within Malaysia. And some of my friends even be a product specialist. They give mm-hmm. uh, they give talk. They introduce their system. So again. It involves a lot of traveling. And another option is some of my friends also become a lecturer okay. in a university okay. or private college. Yes. Right. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, apart from research, hmm. like I think you've also mentioned that there are other, uh, like radiographers actually go into, like not just into hospitals, but they also become product specialists and yep. uh, sales specialists. Right? They yep. introduce like medical equipments and stuff. But what about like in terms of um, medical imaging? Because I know that before, uh, you actually did a degree in medical imaging, right? At Teesside yes. University. Yes. So like you have gone into research, but what about somebody who may not be like directly into research, but would like to study a degree in medical imaging? Like what are their career perspectives? Mm. They, whoever, I mean, those who are like um, interested in medical imaging degree, uh, they, I will, they will actually, I will suggest them to be a clinical radiographer first. Definitely, it's, okay. You need to have, a, you need to have clinical skill. Right. You need to have the experience. When you can learn, it's actually true patient, true real case. That's where you learn. So, and then from there, yes, you can move to, like what I said, applications, lecturer, and product specialist. Right. So always consider starting on a clinical setting. I would suggest that because you, most of the thing I learned is actually from the clinical setting. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. I think there's another concern, like, for Malaysians in general, like, we are usually like a doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> so people don't really like explore other fields. Like people always assume that going into hospital, only way is to go in as a doctor. When there's actually a doctor or nurse or dentist. Yeah. So yes. like people actually don't realize that there are many, many professions that are coming yeah. together to make a hospital operate the way it's operating yes 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 right so it's yeah it's pretty cool actually so I know you've been so moving on to like uh, your career option like from going into a clinical setting you're now moving towards academia you've yes so what are what were the challenges moving from a clinical setting to academia yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I just uh, joined uh, one of the university for four months. And I have been working in clinical for almost 20 years. I'm so used to the pace. Yeah. I come in, I see, we scan patient, we help patient, then we go back. But in academia, in university, it's totally different. Right. Uh, you have to prepare a lot of things by yourself. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to do everything. By yourself, you have to prepare what you need to teach the student. 
Yeah. And how you want to make sure you have to how you have to think of the way to make sure they understand you and help them to pass their exam. And then um, on top of that, you have to do research because <clears throat> as a lecturer, you have to have publication. So we are not only uh, it's not only teaching about teaching. It's not it, it involves admin work. It involves research work. So I I would say that the time I spend yeah in front of the laptop okay it's longer than I spend time with my family. So that's a okay. challenging but I'm because I'm still new in in in, in uni like I'm in academia. So I I I believe it's just a transition period but. Mm -hmm. It is totally different. It's not like what other some people say. Oh, you are a lecturer, so you 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 are very flexy. You have your work is just to teach, so you uh you have don't have to worry so much. It's no such thing. You you yeah. even have to worry more thing. You have to yeah, worry about yeah. the student, yourself, the admin work, so many things you have to take care. But it's a new challenge, but uh, but a lot to learn. Yeah. Yeah, I think like. I think that you actually brought up a good point. People assume that being a lecturer is, or like, it's just, it's okay, like, you definitely be okay. And actually, it's not like a lot of, a lot of lecturers, like, including like, lecturers that I, I've studied under, like, so competitive <laughs> with grants and, you know, all that, like, yeah, with grants. Yes. Grants. Building your own labs and uh, yes. publications. Yes, people will chase you. When are you going to publish a paper? People will be chasing you and the students will be chasing you when, are going, when they're going to get their marks. You are, you've been chased everywhere, left, right, center. Yeah, so I think it's also a reminder for us that every time when lecturer give homework, like, like, I don't want to do, but actually it's more work for the lecturer. Yes, yes, yes. Totally agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially like undergrad, like sometimes like especially like government uni, they got a like big classes, right? Like about 100, 200 students, some classes. That must be yes. like really, really challenging to like mark 100 papers. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, okay, okay. So yeah, it's, it, it's kind of cool actually like to know that like people can actually transit. Like there's like this transition that even though like you're in PhD, like you don't necessarily end up in one like just one road, like if you're going to research, that's it. Like you can always move from clinical yes. to academia or from academia to industry. Like there's no yeah. one, there's no, there's no if, yeah, there's no like specific. Yes. I think that's the beauty of actually doing a PhD. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. You have more options. Yeah, <laughs> we have more options. That's correct. <laughs> So, Dr. Yong, before I end this episode, we usually have like um, an impact question. Mm. An impact question for all our guests. But you actually beat us to it and already answered the question <laughs> before asking. So, we probably want to ask you, so we're going to ask you one like on the spot. Mm. Right. So, if you were to go back in time, like to when you were in your uni days, you yeah. know, what would you have done differently? Hmm. That's a very tough question. <laughs> what I would do differently? I would say, um, I would say I would definitely pay more attention in the class, actually. 
we are remember that yeah okay okay yeah because you know why after being a lecturer when you have to prepare all the slides yeah for the student you sort of hmm did i learn this before when in the when i was in the uni so right okay show that i didn't really pay attention in the class so i have to open back the book oh yeah i learned this before but just forgot about it right. so i was saying yeah uni i mean uni study is a study is fun uh you need you know the the, the young the young one they say okay study is stressful but study can be fun yeah. so you we need to have fun of course we need we we're going to have fun we go out hang around but at the same time we need to make sure that as a student we have to do our part as well just we have to pay attention in the class yeah. do the homework make sure we pass the exam because if you fail you actually ex- add extra work for the lecture right <laughs> i like how you like I like how you mentioned like you know if you fail it's more work for the lecturer so yes. please pass your yeah, yeah. it <laughs> yeah oh god <laughs> that's an interesting thing yeah all right okay okay so that is a wrap thank you so much for joining us today dr leong it has yeah. been a pleasure chatting with you and learning a bit more about chronic kidney disease as well as ultrasounds and yeah. your research and uh, hopefully they'll this will inspire more malaysians and to our viewers mm-hmm. would be inspired to consider going into medical imaging and ultrasound research thank you yeah. thank you so much that's yeah thank you so much again and to our listeners thank you so much for tuning in this is beyond the lab and we wish you stay safe and well and positive thank you for tuning in to beyond the lab if you'd like to be part of our growing community of science enthusiasts kindly hit the subscribe button and follow us on instagram at underscore beyond the lab and like our beyond the lab facebook page i'm jayshree lau till next time